Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name is Tom Rablick. Thank you for joining me for this particular podcast. Everybody's thinking about COVID-19 at the moment. There is a global pandemic, but there are some other issues that still need to be on people's minds. One of them, of course, is climate change and its consequences. It's taken a back seat recently, uh, as have some other issues, because of the intense focus on combating the coronavirus. But environmental concerns have not gone away. Joining me today is author and journalist Patty Manning, who's just released a new book via publishers Simon & Schuster called Body Count that looks at the consequences of climate change in very real terms. Patty, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Tom. Yeah, not a problem. Now, some people listening to this won't know what your background is. If you wouldn't mind... Uh, giving them a flavour of where you've been, what would your career look like if you had to put it on the back of an envelope? Yeah, um, I'm a journalist of, um, you know, more than 20 years um, standing. I, uh, back at the end of, well, sort of at the end of the 90s, uh, I launched a magazine called Ethical Investor um, and have, you know, which lasted a few years, um, before I sold it and then went off and was a business journalist for The Australian. I've worked for The Fin Review, uh, The Sydney Morning Herald uh, and The Age uh, and then uh, gone on to Crikey um, and then started writing books. And, uh, and yeah, my first book was a biography of Nathan Tinkler, who was this Australia's youngest billionaire, the coal miner, uh, who had a spectacular rise and fall. And... Um, Oh, sorry, there was a book before that about fracking, um, What the Frack, it was called, a uh, short one. Uh, then I wrote a biography, a book that most people might know my name by, was a book about um, Malcolm Turnbull, an unauthorised bi- biography that came out two weeks after he became Prime Minister and published by Melbourne University Press. Uh, so, yeah, I've become an author as well as an investigative journalist where I've, and I've worked for uh, the ABC Radio National's uh, background briefing. I write, um, I'm a contributing politics editor for The Monthly. I write a daily federal politics blog for them. I've done a few essays for The Monthly as well and, um, and a few articles for the Saturday paper. So I'm sort of, you know, um, uh, I'm about. And I've just, uh, yeah, just released this book, which is now my fifth book, uh, Body Count, How Climate Change is Killing Us. Now, it, why has climate change fascinated you? Before we go into the into the depth of the book, what's been the what's been the fascination about about the issue for you? Well, it's funny that you ask that because it does go to a moment before I was a journalist. I was working as an environment policy analyst for the Environment Prote- uh, Protection Authority in New South Wales, and. Um, so when after I studied history, I came out of um, university and went and was working at um, select committees at the New South Wales Parliament and, you know, did a couple of inquiries about, um, you know, for example, bushfires. There was some, you know, intense bushfires in Sydney in 1992. And I remember reading all the submissions there and they were talking about, you know, um, why those, you know, how those fires were, you know, especially, um, you know, intense. Uh, I guess it sort of planted a seed, but in in 1995, the uh, a newly formed body called the Inter- Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change came out and said that on the balance, the quote, the important quote was, on the balance of probabilities, 
human activity was causing climate change. And I remember working at the Environment Protection Authority of New South Wales um, up in their Chatswood building that day when that finding sort of ricocheted its way around the building, you know, uh, because it was incredibly significant. And, uh, and I didn't appreciate the significance at the time. I'm, I'm not a scientist, but it stayed with me. And, uh, and when I was writing Ethical Investor, I was writing a lot about how, um, you know, pension funds, uh, industry funds, for example, in Australia, were interested increasingly in the triple bottom line and in trying to screen their investments, you know, on a range of criteria, environment criteria, social criteria, corporate governance. And, and through all of that, um, there has been a thread of interest in, in what are, thinking through what are the consequences of climate change for Australia and what, why do we find it so hard to deal with? So it has been a sort of, it has been an abiding interest. There's, a, there's always a reason why an author chooses a title. This one, this one has two words in bold on top body count take us through why well my feeling has been that the climate debate we've been talking about it for a long time i mean in my mind it it does go back to at least you know 89 90 in australia when the first cabinet submission was brought by then environment minister federally um graham richardson uh you know and i remember you know paul Bob Hawke was Prime Minister, Paul Keating then knocked him off. And, and, you know, ever since then, we've really struggled to get a response together on climate change. Under All through the John Howard years, there was a lot of climate denial. Uh, in fact, I think, in fact, there's, it's got worse. Uh, but it seems to me that somehow we have stopped really thinking about the the up until this last most recent black summer in 2019-20, we've stopped thinking about the reality of climate change and we've turned it into a debate about electricity prices or, um, you know, we talk about emissions reduction targets and parts per million of CO2. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people are lost in this kind of climate waffle and they've switched off because it's either become hyper-partisan or it's become confusing or... You know, the very fact that the debate drags on suggests that it's not an urgent problem. And, and I, I think that the real um, dire uh, dangers uh, to uh, ourselves as Australians have not been spelt out by state and federal governments, you know, over the years. Instead, um, it's debated as a future problem that affects the environment you know, uh, or, you know, other generations. Well, it's not, that that's not the case. Um, this affects all of us right now and and will be certainly uh, and certainly threatens um, our kids. And, uh, and the science is incredibly, uh, you know, clear. It's become repetitive, in fact. Um, but people don't respond to science. Most people aren't scientists, but they do respond to human stories. They do get the impact when you talk about uh, the impact of, you know, climate-fueled disasters on real people and you tell those stories honestly and accurately, uh, I think that's how you get attention. And often this debate is not had because when we have a disaster, 
you know, it's seen as somehow, you know, politicising or opportunistic to start talking about climate change while someone's just, you know, lost their um, loved one uh, to a, you know, a fire or a flood or to, you know, uh, for example, Melbourne's thunderstorm asthma outbreak in, in 2016. You know, these, yeah. these major events happen and, and, and the media generally shies away from talking about climate change. And partly also that's because the science takes time to um, arrive, you know. So the science which attributes these um, extreme weather events or these disasters to warming can take years. And, uh, and so the public's, you know, this is really, this book is really a dot joining exercise between um, the disasters, uh, the victims and the scientists uh, and, and showing, trying to show the pattern basically by interviewing um, those ordinary Australians um, who have lost family or loved ones to extreme weather events, disease or other causes linked to global warming and just talking to them about their views about global warming. So that is a long-winded explanation of why I've written a book called Body Count. Uh, I'm trying to focus, zoom in on the real human toll that this that global warming has is taking now and has actually, you know, the body count has started, I've argued, uh, you know, at the beginning of this century. It's impossible to say exactly when, but it is well and truly begun. It's, a, it's an interesting title, but it also, it's compelling. I look at the cover and I go, whoops, he's he, an interesting kind of breed. Thank what you. is the most... What is the most um, profound story that you've told, in your view, in Body Count? You know, a, reader, a reader will go through it or someone will pick up a review, different reviewers will uh, highlight different things, but what's the Paddy Manning profound moment in, that, in, in the book if you had to isolate one? Yeah, it's really hard, you know, because there's 15 <laughs> or 16 different, you know, stories that I've yeah. got quite close to and I can't, you know, they all illustrate different, they all illustrate different things. And, and I, I, okay, so for example, in a small northern Tasmanian town of La Trobe in 2016, uh, there was, in the middle of the 2016 election actually, uh, there was a huge East Coast low storm that, you know, started off in Queensland, stretched all the way down New South Wales to Tasmania. And uh, there were, you know, swimming pools in Collaroy and Sydney's northern beaches, you know, falling into the um, ocean. And, you know, the Coogee Surf Lifesavers Club was smashed up by the heavy seas. And there was a big debate about uh, the impact of climate change on, you know, causing these events. And the Prime Minister at the time, Malcolm Turnbull, said, you've got to, you know, if only out of prudence, um, accept that, you know, warming is, is causing more frequent and more intense storms. And uh, in the Tasmanian floods that occurred um, at that, in that winter, um, three people died. Uh, two... Uh, sorry, I, I've spoken to the families of two of those people. One was a farmer in um, Ooze, which is sort of in the middle of um, Tassie, um, a little, you know, uh, country town. And uh, and the other was 
uh, and that was Ron Foster, um, who was a, you know, a retiree, had a few sheep and um, swept away uh, when the river came across his property. Um, huge rainfall. Anyway, that was one story. But there was a really tragic story of a woman called Mary Orford. Um, in fact, Mama Mia picked this up as an extract the other day. Um, she was, you know, she went to bed with her husband, Noel, and uh, in the little town of uh, La Trobe uh, on the Mersey River, um, just sort of near Launceston. And, uh, and that night, uh, when Noel got up to go to the loo, uh, he found water on the floor and he rings his son and says, you better come and get there's something going wrong. And uh, his son, Mark, um, you know, called his, called his brother and they tried to get, they couldn't, the water was, came up so fast, uh, they couldn't get to the house. And not only that, the council and the police, um, no one could get to the house. They brought in a bulldozer. Um, they tried to drive a um, four-ton truck. They couldn't um, get to the house because the water was going so fast and the river had split gone up a little embankment in their valley and then come smashing through the back of the house. And uh, they had this sturdy little A-frame house and uh, the water was coming in. Uh, Noel was 80, I think, or 81, don't quote me. Um, Mary was uh, a big woman and she had a, um, you know, bad leg and he couldn't get her up the stairs of their, the spiral staircase of their A-frame house. And he had her on a bed and he floated as the water rose. He had her on the mattress to try and keep her afloat. Uh, and then at a certain point, he had to run upstairs to get a blanket, ran up, couldn't get back down. She drowned in, that, in their living room. And he held onto that mattress so long that the muscle tore off his arm bone, the old he was getting it was freezing water it's pitch black dark his feet getting cut up by um you know all the debris and broken glass and everything on the floor underwater uh and his son's outside on the other side of this um, river um couldn't get to him uh they couldn't get a chopper it took eight hours for a chopper to arrive the inquest is still not being delivered by the state coroner so it was an absolutely tragic story. And those two brothers sat down and talked to me in their town uh, at La Trobe. And we had a cup of coffee and, and they said they still don't get it. They still don't get how and why the rainfall was so intense. And I, I you know, that there are different theories around in Tassie about what happened in those floods. Um, you know, some people say, oh, cloud seeding might have had a role. Uh, some people say, well, maybe the hydro let some water go because it was trying to protect some of its storages somewhere. Um, you know, but the state inquiry uh, that was held, the uh, special uh, report was prepared. I've forgotten the name of the author, but he, he, he found, he just sort of made a kind of gentle suggestion that, you know, maybe the state government should be taking a bit more advice from the, you know, climate change agency that it set up. That was all he said. You know, he didn't blame climate change. Uh, there hasn't been any definitive science which links that event um, definitely to climate change. But there certainly is, uh, you know, the risk. The, the whole event highlights the risk uh, that global warming is driving these increasing, uh, increasingly it's in, intense rainfall. 
So what the science says is that um, overall rainfall might decrease, but the intensity of rainfall might increase. And that's a thing that's hard for people to work out. And, um, and yet it does result in extreme flash flooding. And uh, I've got three examples in the book. We saw some of that in, um, you know, in Queensland in 2011. We saw it in a little New South Wales town of Dungog in 2015. We're talking, you know, we saw it in Townsville 2019. We're talking one in 500 year or one in 1,000 year events that seem to be coming around very, um, very frequently. Uh, and it's just extreme amounts of water falling in, in very short periods of time. And I think that's a, that story is one, of the, um, is one of the ones that really moved me because the two farmers, I sp- oh, sorry, they're not farmers, um, the, two, the two guys I talked to, Mark and um, Gerard, are not climate sceptics, but they're not sure what happened. They still don't know what happened. And uh, my whole aim with this book is not to beat things up or down, um, just to tell, iron out any wrinkles. I just want to tell it exactly how the story as I found it. And I think that has its potency, which is to say, geez, um, you know, we are under-informed here uh, and we need to do, even though we've had been, been talking about climate change for 20 years, we need to do some a real assessment of what the risks are, um, you know, town by town if necessary uh, and uh, event by event uh, and, uh, and really, you know, raise awareness of the the more dangerous, hotter world that we're um, we're getting into. There's an interesting uh, issue in in what you've said up to this point in the podcast, and one thing that I wanted to have discuss with you as well, and that is, a lot of the time when we observe public debate in the media about climate change, it's treated as a binary discussion. Um. What, in your view, and that is, it, it, it's something's either influenced by climate change or it's influenced by something else. There appears to be a reluctance on um, the part of some commentators to accept that you cannot eliminate climate change as a cause, even if, for example, in bushfires, some people talk about the... Um, the propensity for you know there to be a whole whole lot of fuel around the place, and that becomes the focus. It's called bushfires are caused by the fuel. If we tidy the fuel up, then things won't be a problem. How do we have a discussion that's more nuanced? Because that I think is what you're trying to get to here. Well, it absolutely is what I'm trying to get to here. And the scientists I spoke to on bushfires, for example, are very concerned about fuel loads. And, um, and they're also very concerned about uh, people building near, you know, in fire-prone areas near forest, you know. Um, so so uh, there is a nuanced debate and it's, this, and it's nuanced in every single, um, you know, respect. It's nuanced on bushfire. It's nuanced on flooding. It's nuanced on um, drought. It's nuanced on disease. It's nuanced on the links between global warming and this COVID-19 pandemic we're in the middle of. Uh, you know, the, and it is a nuanced conversation that I w- want to have uh, through this book. And I, and I you know, learned a lot um, having written, as I said, you know, on and off about climate change for a long period of time. Um, nevertheless, I learned a lot. This is my first real book on climate change. 
I learned a lot in researching this book because I, I did uh, I did want to present a nuanced picture and I did interview a lot of climate scientists and health professionals about about you know what I was hearing from the stories I was you know um, getting from the people that I you know interviewed on the ground whether it was in Tassie or Queensland or um, you know New South Wales Victoria Canberra you know wherever and 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 yeah I think it's not binary at all uh, you know it's not either or uh, it's a combination of those things uh, but you know so unfortunately I think uh, there's too many people who who want to have it one way or the other and you know you can't um, I agree with you I think it, it, there's some there's something else that's bugged me about this debate and other things, Paddy, and it's the it, and it's best defined in this way. Um, we, in terms of media and communications, we seem to have a curious economy that thrives and grows on the perpetual on the perpetual perpetuation of dispute. Um, rather than achievement of consensus or getting towards an answer. Uh, is there a cultural problem? Do you agree that there's a cultural problem in the way we communicate about these things and that doesn't allow allow for a more mature discussion? Well, where I've landed, I mean, I think there is, but I don't think that's saying very much, you know. I think... Um, I think what yeah, is, okay. you know what I mean? I think like we all know that because we've all suffered this debate now for at least a decade that it's been a, t a top order issue uh, nationally and at a state level, uh, whether it's Adani or renewable energy or, you know, carbon tax or whatever you like, we've been talking about climate change or inconvenient truth. We've been talking about it for at, a, at an intense level for at least since at least 07 you know and uh and many people much longer than that uh but in terms of a national debate i think what's missing is you know and particularly when it comes to the health impacts of climate change which is what i'm focusing on in this book i'm not Absolutely. focusing on the impact on energy prices i'm not focusing on solutions to global warming i'm not focusing on what legislation uh, we need or what politician uh, has got the you know right answer or the wrong answer I'm not I'm, I'm cutting out all of the politics uh, as much as I can and focusing on the impact that it's having already in human terms and uh, and I think the problem what what I took out of my research and in the process of writing was that the government has not you know, it's not actually climate change killing us, it's ignorance that's killing us. The government has not mounted the kind of public awareness campaign about the real dangers that we face, which it did mount when, it, when you know, we were facing the AIDS pandemic. It did mount when, you know, uh, by legislating uh, plain packaging on tobacco. You know, it did mount with drink driving. You know, Australia has a fine track record of public... It did mount on gun laws. It did mount on gun laws in the wake of the Port Arthur massacre. Australia has a fine track record on public health uh, and Australians take their health very seriously. And if the government was to mount a scientifically accurate uh, campaign on the health risks of climate change, I think what you would see is Australians sit up and pay attention. 
and uh, and that hasn't happened. And I think it hasn't happened because of a, a bunch of vested interests that have obstructed the debate, uh, and uh, and that have cowed governments, and uh, and yeah, that's another story. But I don't think it's just a simple cultural. Gee, why can't we get why can't we get this debate you know sorted? I don't think it's because you know there's a failing on our part. I think it's because uh, yeah the Australian government has not stepped up in the way it has on other issues. I think it, there's another there's another uh, kind of thing that sits there, and that is there are various commentators who are loud voices around the place who tend to push particular lines, whether they're uh, whether they're deliberately contrarian because it gets eyeballs and websites and and people reading columns or whatever um, is a different issue, but that appears to also contribute to the problem. Yeah, it certainly does. But I'm not going to, um, you know, ultimately I believe that they, um, uh, you know, misinformation uh, is, you know, is a massive problem and a growing problem. But, um, you know, I don't think that, um, I think ultimately the Australian people and, and, you know, poll after poll suggests that a majority of Australians do accept the science uh, do believe that it's a problem. They are worried about it. Um, they would pay more to, you know, have it fixed. Uh, and and I, I do I suppose it is an article of faith for me that, you know, the good sense of the Australian people will ultimately prevail. And now, Patty, it, it's been interesting talking to you uh, for the past 20-odd uh, minutes. For those who are interested in finding the book where where did i get it uh anywhere hopefully it's a it's at big w um it's at uh booktopia online you can get it on audible if you want to listen to it uh you can get it on kindle if you want to read it you know as an ebook and uh you know every platform known to um as far as i know uh, known to uh publishing so uh hopefully it's everywhere um the publisher is simon and schuster they have a they have a page uh, for Body Count up on the website. So if you go to Paddy Manning Body Count or any other easy, um, you know, uh, entry on your search engine, you'll find it. Uh, have you got anything coming up in the monthly in the next little while that people can look forward to? I do, but I can't talk about it yet. Okay, there's something coming up in the monthly listeners that Paddy's <laughs> written, but he can't talk about it yet. So keep an eye on something Paddy can't talk about for the next little while. It's a big essay, but I, yeah, I just it's just too early. But uh, but Tom, yeah, I, I write every day for the monthly today. Um, that's a free politics blog that goes out at four o'clock every afternoon. So if your listeners uh, want to um, log on to that, uh, it's a um, yeah, it's an independent take on, you know, the story of the day in, uh, you know, in national affairs. Paddy, all the best with the book, uh, Body Count, How Climate Change is Killing Us. Guys, you can go and have a look at it on Booktopia and elsewhere. Um, and thank you for joining me for the podcast. Thanks, Tom. I, I should say as a, last, as a last thought, it's not uh, as grim as it sounds. It's actually the stories that I've learned, and this is one thing that personally... Uh, kept me going is that the stories are inspiring the people I met are inspiring and uh, their responses and their love for the people they lost is um, transparent and uh, 
And yeah, it absolutely gives me hope that when the chips are down, Australians will look after each other. And so I don't want your listeners to think this is a miserable, um, depressing book because it's actually not. Well, there's a lot of people who over the over the years uh, demonstrate a lot of strength and compassion in adversity. So that's that's the kind of thing you've been talking about over the past little while. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Tom. No worries. Cheers.